0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And welcome to the second of two episodes on Air Biggie Saga. Uh, we decided early in the going that there was just too much in this saga to cover in one episode. And so in episode 3A, we gave a summary of the text, a sort of discussion of the plot of the saga. And now here in episode 3B, we're going to be judging the saga, evaluating it through the usual categories. Our seven categories, as always, are best bloodshed, body count, nicknames notable witticisms, outlawry, in which we will outlaw a figure from the saga forever, thingmen, in which each of us will choose a member of the saga to be our supporter at future things, and of course a final reading when we will evaluate the saga on a 10-point scale.
1: right. Well, we've got a lot of great things to share and discuss, so let's get started with our first category. Best Bloodshed all right, this is the category where we evaluate the most violent, or at least interestingly violent, episodes in the saga. Now, blood doesn't have to necessarily be spilt, but we need at least a bruise if we're going to consider this thing seriously.
0: A bruise is that enough? We've got so much blood spilled. We've got gallons of blood spilled in the saga, and we're going to suffice with bruises? I'm just setting up a precedent for later if somebody gets a good I smack. I see. We need to be able to count <laughs> right. it. Right, right. This saga is extremely difficult because we have so many. Yeah. Uh, violent episodes to choose from. It's the opposite of our problem with Ravengill Saga, where we're really sort of desperate to find violent acts to discuss. This time, we've had to throw out violent acts that probably would have won Best Bloodshed in another episode.
1: That's right. Yeah, there's so much stuff to choose from, but uh, we tried to narrow it down, pick a few of our favorites. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start by nominating the scene where Snorri's mother, Thordis, stabs Eolf with his own sword. Ah, yes. The bloodshed here isn't itself particularly gratuitous or excellent, uh, but this is a good example of what I mean when I say interestingly violent. Mm-hmm. So, this one gets a little bit complicated, so try to bear with me. Those of you who have read Gizli saga might be familiar with the characters of this episode. Snorri's mother, Thordis, married a guy named Thorgrim the Priest, who was involved in the battle at Poop Rock. You might remember him. They live in another district near Thordis's brothers, including a guy named Gizli Soursen. Now, a long story short, Gizli ends up killing Thorgrim, who's the husband of his sister. Now, if that sounds complicated, it is. Uh, Gizli, as we'll see when we do Gizli's saga, is convicted for this killing and is outlawed. Now, Snorri Snorri takes a lot of blame for not pursuing his uncle to avenge the killing of his father, but it appears Snorri doesn't mind this blot of shame at all. Now, in the end, Gizli is killed by a man named Eolf who is a kinsman of Thordis' new husband, Bork the Stout, who happens to be the brother of Thorgrim.
0: Why would you think any of this would be
1: complicated? (laughs) You're right. (laughs) There's very strange family relations going on here. So if you're still with me... Bork tells his wife, Thordis, that the great Eolth, Gisli's slayer, is coming to dinner one night. And she's going to have to give him a hearty welcome because he rid the family of an ugly blemish. Mm. Now, Thordis is upset that the man who killed her brother is being welcomed so fondly into her own house. Mm-hmm. And she's now expected to serve him. Bork tells her to mind her P's and Q's and treat him with like a hero since he's the one that avenged the slaying of her husband. And the saga author says Snorri had very little to say about this. Right. So what ends up happening is uh, Eolf comes in and he's shown to the table. He's given the high seat of honor. And like most guests, he puts his sword on the floor near his seat. And we'll pick up the passage there. Thordis is carrying in the porridge bowls with spoons in them. Again, she's meant to serve Eolf. But while she does so, she drops a spoon next to Eolf. And when she stoops down to pick it up, she grabs hold of Aelf's sword and makes a quick thrust with it under the table. Mm. Uh, it pierces Aelf in the thigh, but not too deeply because the pommel caught to the table, checking the blow.
0: That's still not a spot where you want even a shallow wound.
1: No, no. Leave my thighs alone, I say. <laughs> so this erupts into chaos. Bor, Snorri's stepfather, husband of Thordis, he shoves the table away and he, he strikes out at Thordis. So here we have a bruise. Mm-hmm. Um, Snorri... Right stands up and pushes Bork away from his mother. Um, so he pushes him so hard that Bork falls down. Snorri then puts his arms around his mother, and he sets her down beside him, and he says that she's suffered enough sorrow from the loss of her husband and her mm-hmm. brother that she doesn't need to be beaten as well. This is a great episode for a number of reasons. For me, I think it's really cool because it shows the complexity of the family relations in Saga Age Iceland when kin feuds erupt. But it also we see the complexity of Snorri's position in this feud. We see uh, a Snorri who is supposed to avenge his father but can't because it's his uncle. Um, So he just lets it go. He has shame for that. But we also see him defending his mother. And I think this is a a really nice scene where we see the the kind of softer side of Snorri the Gothi.
0: Well, I think um, as you'll see in future sagas, Snorri is going to be dealing with the ramifications of failing to take action for the death of his father really throughout his entire life. People will be throwing this back in his face uh, decades to come. Right,
1: So it's a pretty cool episode, and it's it's one of the uh, first moments where the saga author uh, makes notice or, or reference to episodes from other sagas. And we see this mm-hmm. a couple times in, in uh, Erbiki's saga. I'd also like to consider an episode called Gunnlaug's Mishap. Um, oh, great. I'm glad this you're is, this one up. Yeah, this is the first instance of supernatural violence in the saga, and it's a pretty interesting one at that. Uh, basically, we've got a handsome young man named Gunnlaug who has an interest in sorcery. He's Mm -hmm. got a friend named Odd, whose mother is a witch. Her name's Katla. And there's another woman, Gerid, who is Thorolf Twistwood's daughter. She's
0: a witch, and she's the one that Gunnlaug seems to prefer. One of the real qualities of this saga is just the sheer number of witches. I mean, these aren't even the only witches in the saga. Right. Kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah. And it turns out that Katla is a widow, and she's a bit lonely and looking for company. So she's always pressuring old Gunnlaug to stay uh, at her house, and he always refuses
0: um, and she develops a kind of jealousy because he's yeah. always going over to Garrett's house. One of the, one of the things that we see, with, which is in the sagas, I think, is that they have a kind of sexual aggressiveness uh, that isn't really typical of other women in the sagas. Mm-hmm. Uh, very sort of akin to, in medieval English literature, the role of kind of the sexually aggressive widow. widow. Right. Uh, someone like the wife of Bath comes to mind. Right. Uh, but you see someone like Katla or Garrett and the two of them sort of end up in this feud over the attentions of a young man. And both of them have a kind of a an interest in him that goes beyond just a keen student of the magical arts, I think. right, Or at least it's implied that that's the case. Because mm-hmm.
1: really, Kotla the one who accuses Garrett, uh of being this sexual beast. Um, right. <laughs> so one night, uh, Gunnlaug is preparing to go home from his studies with Garrett. Um He's with Odd, and Garrett tells him that he should stay the night. Uh, he refuses, which I think suggests maybe he's not as interested uh, in these two women. Uh, It's worth noting also that they're both older women. He's young. They're uh, mothers. So I don't know if he swings that way. But she says there are sea spirits about, and many a a fair skin hides a foul mind, so he -hmm. needs to be very careful. Now, Gunnlaug says he's going to be safe because his buddy Odd is there to protect him, but Garrod thinks that's pretty hilarious. So on his way home, Gunnlaug gets attacked. Right. Uh, I'll pick up the passage there. During the night, Thorbjorn, that's uh, Gunnlaug's father... Thorbjörn looked outside and saw his son lying unconscious by the door. They carried him in and pulled off his clothes, and he was scratched all over the shoulders, and the flesh had been ripped to the bone. His injuries kept him in bed the rest of the winter. There was a lot of talk about his illness, and Odd Katleson maintained that Gerard must have bewitched him and ridden him for having taken such short leave of her that evening.
0: Incidentally, this is where we get the uh, expression "hagridden." Hagridden is the literal... Hag riding mm-hmm. uh, That goes on In a situation like this
1: uh, This erupts into A big legal battle Where Snorri Accuses Garrett Of using witchcraft um, Garrett's brother Arnkel Defends her And it ends mm-hmm. up In an arbitration Where they agree That nothing actually happened That Garrett right. is in fact Innocent Unfortunately for Snorri He's a loser In this legal case
0: <laughs> One of the f- That's okay he'll get, he'll get used to it Yeah the first of many
1: Losses to Arnkel Right
0: And interestingly Nobody ever accuses uh, Katla Of the right. attack Despite the fact that she's the other witch in the area, she also has been aggressive toward Gunnlaug, mm-hmm. um, and she has a much sort of more adversary relationship with the family of Gunnlaug, that there's no particular reason for uh, Ghirid to have attacked him, yeah. every reason in the world for Katla to have attacked him, and yet the accusation never happens.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that Odd Katluson, you know, son of Katla, is... The, uh, the one to make the accusation
0: Yeah, I like that one uh, The first one I want to introduce For me, the fight in Thorin's doorway And the follow-up brawl outside is a definite contender mm-hmm. If only because of the severed hand right. uh, As we d- briefly discussed in our summary Thorbjorn Stout, who's Gothi's brother-in-law And the father of Gunnlaug And his friend Odd Catlesson uh, Pick a fight with Thorbjorn's neighbor Thorin Black Over some missing horses At first, Thorin, who has a reputation for being a peaceful fellow, holds his tongue, but when Thorbjorn insists on searching Thorin's property, Thorin's mother, who is Gerard the Witch, berates her son for being unmanly. Of course, Thorin is stung by this. He and his friends attack Thorbjorn's party at once. When the women of the house intervene and the two sides separate, three men have been killed, and later, a severed hand is found by the door, and Thorin recognizes it as his wife's. That must be quite a shock to look down uh, can you your wife's hand. <laughs> this hand looks familiar. Yeah. Uh, he finds his wife huddled up in bed and he asks her whether she was hurt. She tells him not to make a fuss out of it. What a lady. Which I have to say, it's pretty damn tough on her part. Yeah. She's sort of curled up around the stump of her hand. Uh, Thorin then rushes from the house, catches up to Thorbjorn's party, and immediately attacks and he cleaves Thorbjorn's head in two down to the neck. Yeah. Now, there's a lot more blood spilled in the fight, uh, including Thor Arnason losing his leg and eight more men dying. But I would say the combination of Aud's hand and Thorbjorn's head is pretty good stuff.
1: Yeah, it makes it a great candidate for this. There's actually a lot of discussion in the saga over who cut Aud's hand off.
0: That's right. Um, when, when Thorin rushes out to attack the men, he actually hears them sitting around as they sort of bind up their wounds and relax, laughing. About Odd Catlesson making fun of Thorin for cutting off his own wife's hand. Mm -hmm. Now, Thorin knows, or at least is pretty sure, that he didn't cut off his wife's hand during the fight. Uh, And, of course, this false accusation only makes him even more furious, as if we needed more rage. Uh, But Odd Catlesson survives the subsequent fight with no injuries. Uh, The implication is that his mother has cast a spell over him uh, so that weapons will not bite on him very handy to have a witch as a mother. It it really is. Uh, But it does mean that though he isn't injured, he also doesn't acquit himself terribly well. and He does flee the fight at the end. Yeah. uh, And so we've got still this sort of – this problem hanging out there that Odd has made an accusation against Thorin of having mutilated his own wife. Now shortly after that, uh, Thorin's mother, Girid, uh, announces that she's heard from people, uh, unnamed sources – that Odd Catlesson has been bragging to people that he is actually the one who chopped off Aud's hand.
1: Right. Now, this is uh, the question. Did she actually hear Odd Catlesson had done this? Right. Or is she remembering that he's the one that accused her of attacking Gunlaug?
0: Right. And, of course, he's also the son of her rival, Catla. And so there's all sorts of reasons why Garid might want to direct a little revenge against uh, Odd and his mother. Yeah,
1: and this leads to our next entry for uh, best bloodshed. And this one's a pretty good one. Uh, mm. It's going to be the end of old Odd and Kotla. So Garid announces to Arnkel that she knows Odd Kotlasen is the one who did it. Arnkel gets Thorin and a bunch of other guys to go to Kotla's farm where they believe Odd must be hanging out. Um, They're going to go on an old-fashioned witch hunt. (laughs) quite literally. Odd is sitting at the table beside his mother when Kotla sees uh, Arnkel and his men coming. She tells him to chill out, sit still, be quiet, and she'll take care of everything. Basically, she uses her witchcraft to hide him in plain sight. So Arnkel and his men come into the house without asking. They search the place, don't see him, and then they leave. And -hmm. they do this a bunch of times because every time they come in, they search the place, don't find anything... They leave and feel quite odd about what they just experienced, and so they go search again. In fact, one time, uh, Kotla tells Odd to sit down, and she sits there combing and trimming his hair right in front of them, but all Arnkel and his men can see is Kotla playing with a goat.
0: Right. And in general, the the things that she disguises Odd as are not terribly complimentary. I mean, a distaff, a goat, a pile of trash. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, That it's not a—we're not meant to understand that Odd is coming off well in all this. Right. But— Catla's witchcraft is just too powerful for the men to see through and they're sort of under her spell whenever they're nearby uh, yeah. and when Girid learns that they have been turned away unsuccessfully, she decides it's time to take matters into her own hands right she puts on a blue cloak and which you is know a what great thing right there right I mean just the idea of a witch bolting on the blue cloak this sort of this classic saga thing that you mm. almost never see, women in the saga is doing. It's almost always men putting on blue cloaks and going off and killing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But she really kind of just takes charge at this point. Exactly. And it, it says uh, that they stormed back into the
1: house. This time there were no greetings. Garrod threw off her cloak, went up to Katla and pulled a sealskin bag over her head. Her companions tie the bag firmly around Katla's neck. And then Garrod tells the men to open up the floor, and that's where they find Odd hiding. Mm-hmm. Arnkel and his men take both Katla and Odd over to the east to a place called Bulland Head, and Odd was hanged there. Now, as he was kicking, the saga says, he's kicking on the gallows, and Arnkel says to him while he's dying, it's your own mother who has brought you to this evil end. One thing is sure, it's a wicked mother you have. It's
0: kind of spiteful, really. It's, it's <laughs> Throw that in the spiteful. guy's teeth as he's dying.
1: Right. And this is the moment where Katla uh, kind of curses Arnkel and tells right. him that he's going to have more trouble from his father than anything that he could ever imagine.
0: Um Right. The Which, result of course of, is true. The result since of that is his father is, is Thor Thorall Twistfoot, yeah.
1: The result of that is that they uh they stone Kotla to death and and uh leave her there.
0: <laughs> it's not really it's not really a moment for a great witty repartee. They just grab a bunch of rocks and murder her with them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh that's what happens to witches, you know.
1: Just like uh, actually with Freyfaxi, you, you put a, a bag over the witch's head right. and uh, you stone him to death or throw him off a cliff. Sure.
0: The next episode I want to introduce, and I think this is a strong contender, is the episode in which Stuart Thorgrimson uh, deals with a pair of berserkers from Sweden. It's one of the great side episodes that we just didn't have time for in the initial discussion of the saga. What happens is that when Thorin Black is smuggled out of the country by his uncle Arnkel, a Kjallikling named Vermin the Slender hitches a ride with him as far as Norway. He has his own adventure in the Norwegian court, and he ends up with two Swedish Berserker brothers named Holly and Leknir.
1: yeah, he gets now, these from his buddy the king and the the king says, "Hey, you know these are berserkers right they 're dangerous so for, for those <laughs> right, of you, you know who, what
0: that means don 't you yeah,
1: for those of you who don 't know, uh, a berserker is extremely powerful. they get into a kind of trans like state and they are kind of unstoppable, um, mm-hmm. so that 's where you get that whole uh, phrase he went berserk it means just into an uh, uncontrollable rage And a lot of times they, they can't even be harmed When they're in that state So these right. are these are guys with serious attitude problems Basically and, Now uh, the name
0: Berserk actually um, Depending on which translation of the name you accept Means either uh, Bear shirt uh, Meaning they sort of take on the skin of a bear And become like an animal When they fight Or bear shirted Meaning that they fight without any kind of armor or protection Mm-hmm Either way, you know, fairly terrifying on the battlefield. Absolutely. And
1: they're they're pretty big guys. And I think what the king is, is wondering here is why a guy named Vermund the Slender uh, <laughs> wants to take control of two berserkers.
0: Well, I mean, Vermund originally takes them on as his followers to try to get out from under the shadow of his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vermund is the younger brother of Killerstur. Uh, but he, he uh, Vermund quickly finds that the berserkers are too much to handle. And so he gives them to his brother. Yeah. Isn't Instead it one of using of the, them to defeat his brother, he gives them to his brother as a gift.
1: Right. One of the issues is that the, uh, one of the berserkers wants to get married. As soon as he gets to Iceland, he, he's looking for a woman. And uh, Vermund isn't interested in helping him in the quest. So it creates a little rift between them.
0: And Stuart controls them pretty well at first. But then Holly, the older of the two berserk brothers, asks to marry Stuart's daughter, Asdis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and threatens to become his enemy if he refuses. And of course, having two berserkers for your enemy is not a great thing. Storr's a pretty
1: powerful guy in the region and so mm-hmm. as this is kind of a prize and I'm sure Stores doesn't want his uh his very profitable daughter to be given to a berserker.
0: Right, berserkers are useful useful to have, but you don't necessarily want their bloodline in your family. No. Uh and we're going to see there's a couple of Saga Ale sagas are sort of the most famous, uh in which you t- you sort of follow the story of a family with berserker blood. Uh, and there are real problems with berserkers. Uh not not uh, the least of which is that significantly for this story, uh, after they fight, Berserkers are frequently uh, exhausted and nearly helpless mm-hmm. uh, and so they find they're sort of frequently they're they're either massacring people indiscriminately or they 're kind of collapsed and not good for much. Stuart sort of panics when Holly proposes to his daughter, uh, and so he eventually has a secret meeting with Snorri Gothi at Helgefell, and this is sort of one of those classic snorri moments where he's sneaking around behind the scenes and giving advice in dark corners. Uh, and, of course, we don't get to hear what he says. Uh, but on Snorri's advice, Stur agrees to a plan. He will set a series of Herculean tasks for the brothers, and when those are completed, Holly will receive Osdis, Stur's daughter, as his wife. So the brothers, in order to complete these tasks, are forced to use their berserker strength, and then, exhausted after their labors, they take a hot bath in Stur's bathhouse. And while they're in there, Stur sneaks over bolts the door shut, and then begins pouring water into the room, overheating it, uh, so that the Weakened brothers are near fainting from the steam. When they finally break down the door and burst out, Stur is waiting and catches them before they can gather their wits. He cuts them both down, one after the other, and then buries their bodies in an extra deep pit in a lava field that he's arranged just for this purpose. I think this deserves credit as a carefully premeditated killing. So many of the deaths in this saga are of the Surround a guy with axes and chop until he stops moving. Variety, but it's nice to see a well-executed execution.
1: Yeah, who set that whole thing up?
0: That would be Snorri. Yep, exactly. uh, and of course, Snorri does nothing without expecting a prize. And shortly after this, Snorri marries Asdis himself. Yeah, what a surprise! Uh, right, which is <laughs> apparently his reward for his advice. So Snorri now gains gains a marriage kinship with the air dweller clan, and his strength and influence increase accordingly. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, I want to add the uh, – one more from me is mm-hmm. one of the uh, the ghost stories. So here we jump oh, sure. forward to Fraud River and the hauntings that are going on there. This is the episode with the oxtail or some kind of tale. Basically, the story goes – they have a shed with uh, frozen fish and other kind of things hanging out in there. And when people go into it, they start getting scared because they hear weird sounds. And then they notice the end of a tail hanging off of a shelf, And um, – they say it looked like a singed oxtail, but it's covered in short seal hair. The point is, it's it's just hanging off the top of the shelf, mm-hmm. and but there's loud, weird sounds coming from it. So eventually, uh, some guy comes in, and he tries to pull the tail, um, but it won't budge. And so several people, including men and women, all join him uh, at the stack, and they pull, and they pull on the tail, but they can't budge it not even an inch. The saga says... Everybody thought the tail was dead, which is hilarious because it doesn't suggest there's anything attached to it. It's just a tail sitting there. Everybody thought the tail was dead, but as they were struggling to get it out, the tail tore right through their hands and the skin was ripped off the palms of those who had been pulling the hardest. The tail was never seen again, though, which is kind of nice. So I guess they got rid of the tail. Um, but unfortunately they lose the skin off the palm of their hands Right I mean in terms of best bloodshed that's an excellent one just because it's so strange and incredibly painful Sure getting stabbed hurts yeah. but lo- losing the, the palms of your hands must hurt a lot more
0: Right anyone who's ever lost their grip while climbing a rope in gym class in high school Will be intimately familiar with the very special pain that you get when, you, uh, when a rope slides through your hands yeah. Now, I like that one, but I do have one more candidate. Uh, and this is very late in the saga. Uh, this is uh, during the siege of Ospak's stronghold. Now, Snorri's men have surrounded the uh, the, the stronghold of ospak the outlaw who's gathered together sort of a small army of criminals. Yeah, the whale meat stealers. Right, exactly. Uh, so they're trying to break down the defenses at this fortress. One of the men Snorri's brought with him decides he can't be bothered with all this sieging. Uh, his name is Thron Stigandi, and he's been assigned the job of attacking the wall where Ospak's lieutenant Hroffin the Viking is defending. And Thrand is out for a little bit of excitement. Uh, I can't top the saga's description of what happens next, so I'll just read it. Thron Stigandi took a running jump and got high enough up the wall to hook his axe over the top. He climbed the shaft hand over hand and got into the stronghold. Proven rushed at him, lunging with a spear, but Thrand parried and hewed at Traven's shoulder, severing his arm. By that time, people were crowding all around him, so he jumped off the wall and managed to get back to the others. And I like to think that he did a little bit of a backflip off the wall just for added style. <laughs> but what a moment. I mean, yeah, this- in the middle of a siege, sort of one of those really conspicuous acts of uh, bravery just sort of makes his way up the wall, lops off an arm, and then jumps back down. I mean, yeah. Sort of the whole point here is to demonstrate to everyone... Just how outlandish you can be. Mm-hmm. He's quite the hero.
1: So, which one of these episodes are we going to pick? Because they're all they all. This have is quite a pile, beautiful. isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm inclined, like I said, to take the oxtail tail, uh, the stripping of the hand, just because of its oddness. It's it's a curious mm-hmm. little uh, little scene. The heroism of sh- Stigandi is pretty awesome as well.
0: Yeah, I'm going to make a strong argument for uh, Thrond cutting off Robin's arm just because of the the outrageousness of it. That in the yeah. middle of a siege, when everyone can see him, he manages to make this maneuver, essentially building his reputation as a man of action, as a, a man of physical ability, and gets away without a scratch.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: manages true. Manages to deliver this blow to one of the most important men behind the walls, and then gets away without anyone touching him.
1: Right. We could also consider, though, the, uh, the killing of Thorbjorn, where his head gets split in two by Thorin. Right. Well, and, combined I mean,
0: you... with the... Uh, hand being lopped off and all the stuff that goes along with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at what what do we mean by best bloodshed exactly? Mm-hmm. In terms of blood really being shed, splitting <laughs> a guy's head in two is pretty awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, not for him, but for the audience, I guess. Well, fair enough. Um, um, but then I guess you make you do make a good case for uh, Stigandi just because it not only is it a cool uh, moment of bloodshed, but the way he got to the bloodshed. Uh, by Mm -hmm. climbing up that axe and the heroism of that moment. Maybe that's the one that we we have to choose, huh?
0: I like it, but now you're convincing me. I feel like the combination of the head split in half and Odd losing her hand and pretending not to make a big deal out of it Mm -hmm. or telling her husband not to make a big deal out of it, sort of chiding him for making a fuss, uh, that's a pretty good one too. Yeah, And it's sort of unforgettable. I know it's one of the things that my students always – Latch on to.
1: Yeah, and that's the, that's the most violent of all of the uh, uh, killings that we've got in the saga. It comes within good context. There's a lot of stuff going on there. It's pretty important for the narrative action of the saga. I think it's a good candidate for the win. I agree.
0: Great. Body, Body count. count. All right. Now, this is going to be kind of a complicated category for this saga. Yeah. Uh, it's it's turned out to be quite a challenge Sort, you wouldn't think it would be. We're just counting body bags, you know. We're just sort of counting the dead. Right. And yet it's turned out to be quite a challenge to sort out who to count and who not to count. And we went through right. it a few times and somewhere between 80 and about 150, 155 people die in the saga. Exactly.
1: It's much more complicated than what we did in Prophet Kill Saga where we kind of saw everybody die. We knew their names. Everything was kind of cut and dry. Right. Here in Airbaggy Saga, things are not so clearly
0: cut. Right. Um, so we've had to devise a set of rules – uh, which we'll hopefully be able to maintain some consistency with going forward in response to the issues that popped up when reading the saga that we hope helped us to devise a reasonable, uh, a fair body count. Uh, and so the question that we have to sort of ask ourselves is if we're tallying up deaths in the sagas, which deaths count toward the total? Right. So as we consider this, we thought, well, people die
1: from all sorts of things in the sagas. Some of them die in battle. Some of them get sick. Some die of old age. Uh, when we started out, we were most interested in what we were calling unnatural deaths, which eliminated old age, right. so that part was easy anybody dying naturally of old age is not counted, right, which made sense now, yeah, everything seemed fine until we got together to compare our body counts for Air saga. I had a completely different number than John did <laughs> so it turns out that we didn't interpret the phrase unnatural death quite in the same way, because I was counting plague, famine, and non-violent deaths, whereas John largely regarded those as natural occurrences, and I think rightly so the distinction is actually quite important for Erbiga Saga, though. It's because the body count rises significantly if you begin counting
0: deaths from illness. And, of course, it's not quite so simple because many of those illnesses themselves have unnatural origins. Exactly. So even so, just saying illnesses count, illnesses don't count, not really going to cover all the circumstances.
1: Yeah, so part of my argument was how can you not count Thorguna who catches cold after a blood rain? Mm-hmm. Or how do you not count the bands of undead at Fraud River, who died from... Basically illness, but uh, it wasn't so simple as all that, right? So their deaths are major events in the saga, and I think they're worth counting. And so we devised a a rule from that, right? right? our
0: first rule. uh, Rule number one, the body count includes all untimely deaths mentioned in the saga. Now, so that sort of means anybody who dies of something other than just natural causes, a heart attack, old age, what have you. That should have made things easier, and it did. But just because we identified what we're looking for doesn't mean that we know it when we see it or can find it as exactly. easily all the time. Right.
1: I mean it would be really nice if we could just read through the saga and tally up all the untimely deaths. But the
0: saga author just isn't that generous. Right. So one of the, things, mean, one of the things that you find when you start trying to add these up is that the saga sometimes neglects to actually give us the number of dead in a given scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right at the very beginning at the Battle of Poop Rock, we're told that when the two sides are separated, there have been, quote, multiple deaths on both sides. Well, multiple, all we know from that is somewhere between two and a thousand. Very hard to come up with a number there. Uh, In other places in the saga, ship crews drown, and we don't know. I mean a a ship's crew on an Icelandic ship can be half a dozen men. It can be 60 men. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we could create an arbitrary
1: number for situations like this, and we actually talked about Mm -hmm. that. Should we just say five for every time this happens? Uh, But that just leads to a more subjective count that really skews the numbers. Right. Um, So that brings us to rule number two. Body count only includes confirmed deaths. If there's no name or number attached to to the death, we just can't count it. That seems kind of a shame to leave out the bands of warriors and crews who meet their demise, but... If the saga author can't be
0: bothered to count them, then why should we? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, of course, what you're already beginning to realize is that uh, our own ca- our count of body count in the sagas may not be the same. If you were to go through and make a pen mark in the margin next to every death, your count will probably be very different than ours because we're starting to develop these kind of rules. Uh, and, of course, things are only going to get more complicated uh, because sometimes the author makes reference to the deaths of individuals in a roundabout way – but he provides enough information that we can cross-reference the episode with another saga to find out more. So for a few examples, uh, from Gisli's saga, we have a reference to the number of men who were killed by Gisli in his last stand being announced at the house of Bork the Stout, and Thordis. Uh, from Eric the Red saga, we have a reference to Eric the Red being brought uh, to trial for the killing of the sons of Thorgist. And we quickly decided that cross-referencing and researching each death mentioned in the saga... One, would not be worth the trouble, and two, would be sort of disingenuous uh, because we are doing a body count for this saga, not for a body count of all the events mentioned in the saga. Uh, So, of course, this leads us to rule number three. We only use what the saga author gives us. Uh, By rule, we cannot go digging into other sagas to get the gory details of all the deaths. We have to wait until we get to that saga to count that death. The
1: end result is that our numbers will often be lower than they actually could be, but we feel that these rules kind of help us maintain an honest and accurate report of the saga's body count.
0: Which means you have a grand total for us once we put all these rules into effect. What do we got? After we consider
1: everything and double-check our work, Airbigia Saga's body count is 101.
0: Ta-da! And I have to say, that's actually a remarkably high number when you consider the length of the saga. I think if you were to... Establish a a rule set For deaths per page Or deaths per chapter Everybody would have to be near the top If you strung them out evenly all over the saga It'd have to be nearly a death a page uh, yeah, and that's that's a lot of deaths. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: uh, maybe we could come up with some kind of uh, uh, calculation, like your Haffen uh, kills the Smoot of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what is the uh, the death density calculation for each saga? Death density, uh, deaths per word count, or something like that. Uh, so one hundred and one. That's a that's a great big number, and I'm pleased with it. Good job, to us. We're awesome. <laughs> Nicknames. Well, there are so many great nicknames in this saga. It's going to be really hard to choose who uh, gets the award. Yes, it is. Um, I'm going to start out with, um, kind of like Croft and Kel, we get a lot of genealogies in the mm-hmm. sagas. And with those genealogies come some amazingly cool names. So I'm going to start with Kettle Flatnose. He's uh, one of the original characters of the saga. He's one of the founders of the, of the region. Um, John, why do you think he's called Kettle Flatnose? Well, I'm going to assume it's because someone flattened it for him that works for me <laughs> <laughs> now the next one I want to throw out there is uh, the the great Ragnar Lothbrok ah, or yes. hairy breeches you know hairy breeks or however you want to. he, mm-hmm. where he wears shaggy pants um He's a pretty cool character. He doesn't have any real role in this saga other than to say he's related to some of the uh, individuals that Mm -hmm. show up. But you might recognize the name Ragnar Lothbrok from various incarnations in film and television, most recently in the History Channel's Vikings show.
0: Yeah, that series is coming back in January, and I think maybe we'll do a special episode uh, toward the uh, time when that's coming on the air, uh, and we'll address the story of Ragnar. He's got uh, a set of... Sagas and thought are uh, sort of built around his story. And it's probably worth having a look at. Mm-hmm. And when we do that
1: episode, we'll also run into his son, Sigurd Snake-in-the-Eye, who also pops up in the right. genealogies of Airbagia Saga. Um, going back to uh, nicknames here, why do you think he's got a snake in his uh, eye?
0: Well, he doesn't have a snake in his eye. Uh, what he's got <laughs> is an eye that lacks a, uh, an iris. And so it's just sort of a pupil oh, on a white disgusting. field. Disgusting. Uh, which is a rare, but apparently a, very, a real condition. And it gives him a snake like eye. Interesting.
1: All right, uh, another interesting nickname that pops up in genealogies is Thorolf Bladderbald. <laughs> yes, you heard me. Thorolf sure. Bladderbald. <laughs> now, you explain flat nose so well. What does bladderbald mean, John? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> does he uh,
0: suffer from male pattern bladderbaldness? <laughs> Can you get Rogaine for your bladder? Um uh, I'm <laughs> assuming that, that it well. refers to you know, in the same way that a sort of uh, a bladder that's been blown up as a, for use as a ball in a game is sort of a rounded dome. I'm assuming that he has a fully bald head uh, that looks like a looks like a game ball.
1: <laughs> okay, that's fine, but that's, that's speculation
0: uh, only. all
1: right we've got a we got a couple of uh, more nose guys oh, right. uh, bulverk blind snout. <laughs> um, bulverk blind snout. I assume he's lost his sense of smell. Which I'm thinking in uh, medieval Iceland is probably quite useful when you're crowding into small rooms with a bunch of unbathed
0: Vikings. Well, that's <laughs> – that's certainly true. Although I've always sort of thought of him as being like a mole. Like he's just really, really nearsighted. <laughs> like you can't see beyond the end of his nose.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We don't see him in action. So right. we don't
0: get the sense of who he is. Uh, there's
1: also Thorstein's sleet nose who's a little bit <laughs> easier to figure out I think.
0: Yes. Uh, it's a man who needs a handkerchief. <laughs>
1: Um, I'll add one more uh, minor character. is Thord the Cat. Oh, right. He's actually Snorri's son. Um, one of the questions that my students ask me is, w- why cats? Right. What's the right. significance of that? Um, there's two possibilities One is an association with Freya mm-hmm. um, The pagan goddess Freya um, Is a goddess of witchcraft and stuff like that And uh, she rides in a chariot Pulled by cats Which isn't the most powerful animal to pull a chariot But there you go It's also associated with sexuality oh. One suggestion might be that Thor the cat Is uh, a particularly promiscuous I see. Uh, individual so the alley cat um, Yeah, I exactly
0: see. Well, those are great uh, I'm going to actually include a few uh, From people who are actually important to the saga If that's alright uh, it's nice to have that opportunity right. I made a reference in our uh, summary section To the existence of two different men Both named Thorstein Codbiter uh, Who are actually from the same family line Right, and you promised to tell me what his yes. name meant Yes, uh, the name is uh, Thorskabit uh, And it actually does literally mean Codbiter uh, Which I realize is something of a letdown Since I was sort of building up I was going to tell you what it means <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: So what you're telling me is it means
0: Codbiter Right Now the trusty Cleesby vigfuson Dictionary tells me that the name is a means of praising a great fisherman. So the cod bite for him. Um, Right. But I've also seen suggestions, and I I kind of like this idea, that the name suggests a degree of toughness. Um, Cod Mm. were often dried to a kind of leathery toughness uh, to preserve them for long periods of time, and they'd be usually cooked to bring them back to sort of an edible quality. But you've got kind of this very hard cod jerky and the suggestion may be that he just sort of eats his cod dry, sort of ripping off chunks of this dried, leathery cod. Right, so does this mean he's stubborn or tough? Um, it sort of means he has disgusting culinary habits, from what I can tell. But, <laughs> but yes, I think there's a, a indication can't. there, sort of tough as nails.
1: Yeah, or he just can't wait for the fish to be cooked, so he just dives right. right in and gnaws the <laughs> dried fish.
0: <laughs> yeah. So well, that changes kind of ruins it, my it? entire image of him. Yeah, I don't think of him the same anymore. Yeah, he's gone from being kind of the Gordon's fisherman to a savage who chews on leathery fish. (laughs) He's
1: not quite so romantic as I thought. Oh, well. I hope this is wrong, John. (laughs) We'll just assume that it means he's a good fisherman and leave it at that. So we wouldn't be doing our duty if we didn't include Snorri the Gothi. Um, If you remember from Mm -hmm. the previous episode, his real name is Thorgrim Thorgrimson. Um, but because he's such a difficult child, he earns the nickname Snarir, and then it turns into Snorri. It means difficult man, warlike man, mm-hmm. troublesome individual, that kind of thing. That's him, Snorri. <laughs> now, he's probably got to be the winner, I think, because it's really his saga. Oh, dear. He's a saga character with a
0: nickname. Let me just uh, – let me just, He deserves as many – Just so as not to spoil it for anybody. I'll just say that if Andy'd had his way, the seven categories would all have been awarded to Snorri before we even began the episode. Uh, but I was already here to Snorri stop up him, in so Best we're actually going to go ahead and
1: look at each of the categories. <laughs> Everyone's really thankful. Yeah. All right. So you want to pass over
0: Snorri? Fine. No, go no. Ahead. I'm not passing him over. I just acknowledge he has a nickname. It's an interesting one. And now we're moving on. Uh, to, in uh, fact, right, who's uh, next? Thorolf Twistfoot, or yeah, uh which is a, uh, a name which literally means sort of twisted leg. Thorolf gets the injury that gives him his name when he challenges his mother's neighbor to a duel. This is an old man who he picks on, uh, essentially thinking that he can sort of easily steal his land by killing him in a duel.
1: It's pretty typical of Thorolf's behavior that whoever's land is next to his, he wants it, creates a problem, right. and takes the land. Right,
0: and this particular man, uh, the old man, is named Ulfar. Olfar the champion, as it happens, which Thorolf probably should have paid more attention to before he challenged him to a duel. Olfar chooses to die in the duel rather than uh, be bullied by a man like Thorolf. And before dying, I mean, he is a very old man. But before being killed, he manages to score an injury to the inside of Thorolf's thigh that leads him to have this sort of permanent twisted leg and limp. And it carries with it, the sort of twist foot name carries with it kind of the idea of a twisted man or a twisted persona.
1: Yeah, we should also consider uh, another Thorolf. This time Thorolf Mosterbeer, the founder of the Thor's Nest uh, region, the Thor's Nest assembly, all that kind of stuff. Um, Right,
0: now this one, this is another one where Cleesby Vigvason gives us a sort of translation. Of course, the translation they give us is the man of Mostrar. Um, Mostrar Mm -hmm. being a Norwegian island. Uh, But the word skeg, which they're taking as man, offers multiple interpretation possibilities. Since skeg can mean either beard, or it can be a synecdoche for a man, so the beard being the man, uh, or making the man. It can also more generally refer to shaggy hair, sort of a long, shaggy... Unkempt beard And there is a name uh, Eoskegir In the sagas Which means Shaggy island dwellers The implication being That islanders Are shaggier And more unkempt Than mainland men This of course Suggests that Mostoskegir's name Might mean The shaggy man Of Mostar Island Not that there's anything wrong With being a little shaggy uh, the next one I want to include is uh, Thorgrimma Witchface I love her name I mean, it's, it really uh, Her name, actually, the literal translation is something like Spellcheek or Spellcheeks mm-hmm. uh, But Witchface sounds more evil And uh, it's universally, in English translations, uh, Witchface seems to be the accepted
1: translation Yeah, I can imagine if I was telling my mom that I was going over to hang out with Thorgrimma at Spellcheek She'd be like, okay, have fun Right. <laughs> uh, you know, play with fairies and stuff like that, right. uh, which is something I do all the time. <laughs> but if I said I'm going to a, Thorgrim a Witchface's house, there might be a
0: raised eyebrow. Now, got, <laughs> now uh, of course, when we think about Thorgrim a Witchface, we also have to consider uh, her husband, yeah. uh, Thorir Arnerson, who co- becomes known as Thorir Woodleg uh, after the battle at Thorrin's house, in which he loses a leg. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, Owl loses her hand and Thorir loses a leg. Poor yeah, guy. it's a pretty
0: brutal battle overall. I'm pretty glad that we gave that one best bloodshed. And then, of course, one last entrant uh, Thorod the Tribute Trader. Right. Uh, as you've said, a fairly forgettable man in most respects, That's but right. it's quite innate. Yeah, and for those of you who don't
1: remember Thorod the Tribute Trader is the wife of Snorri's half-sister Thordis
0: The husband actually uh, yeah, well, but, a, she, but a telling she,
1: mistake <laughs> She she thinks of him <laughs> as her wife um, She uh, He's the guy that is taken advantage of by uh, Bjorn the Bredevik champion uh, right. He's the cuckold if you will
0: Right uh, Now he gets that name He's actually described in uh, his introduction in the saga As being a respected man mm-hmm. Now clearly that doesn't hold true in his own household. But outside of it, he's thought of very well. Um, But he's thought of as being kind of a hard bargainer. He gets his name when he comes upon a group of shipwrecked men who have been off gathering tribute for Earl Sigurd, and he forces them to give him the majority of the tribute in exchange for a rowboat that he's sort of carrying along behind his ship. And so he gets his nickname as being someone who sort of drives a hard bargain And there might be a little bit of an implication there that he takes advantage of people when he has the opportunity. That's right. So
1: there are a lot of great names. There's even more, Mm -hmm. but we
0: won't go through any more of them. So
1: what are we going to do for a prize here? You know, I kind of want to give it to Sigurd Snake in the eye just because it's such a (laughs) great name and it's a cool description of what is actually going on there. But I feel like it should go to someone more important to the saga. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Codbiter's? Well, I think, (laughs) again, I like Codbiter and the story behind him, but... Uh, he's not important enough to the whole story. There's better characters mm-hmm. here. Um, maybe Snorri should win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked, utterly
0: shocked, to hear you say that. It's almost pathetic at this point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to push that to one side. Okay, um, then. Uh, what about Thorgrim of Witch Vase? I do like her.
1: She makes a great blizzard. <laughs> and I'm not talking <laughs> yes. about Dairy Queen. <laughs>
0: Maybe we can combine her and Thora Woodleg into a sort of tag team. They're a married couple. You can do that. I like that. So they're a unit now. Right. So can we we give a joint prize to Thora Woodleg and Thorgrim of Witchface?
1: Well, you know, it's very, very unorthodox, and, you know, I'm a stickler for rules, but I like both of them so much, I'm going to accept this proposal just this once, though. Excellent.
0: Thorgrim of Witchface and Thora Woodleg, you have won Best
1: Nickname. Uh, now, who's going to accept the trophy? Is it going to be the undead corpses Sorry.
0: or... <laughs> uh, oh, dear God. Uh, notable notable witticisms. witticisms. This is the section where we get to look at the saga through the eyes of the writer. Uh, some of the clever lines, some of the bits of repartee uh, that the saga offers us. Uh, mm-hmm. Andy, do you want to get started? I'm going to start with a quick one. You remember our friend,
1: the young goon log, who loves knowledge... Ah yes, he makes frequent trips to study witchcraft with Garred, Thorolf's daughter, Katla, a sorceress that you all know and love. Is jealous of Gunnlaug's interest in Garred, and so she taunts Gunnlaug one day as he's getting ready to set off. She asks him if he's off to quote stroke the old hag up the belly. Hmm? Oh, hello, God!
0: It's <laughs> a, that's a <laughs> bit more explicit than the sagas frequently get. When it comes really to, is uh, a disgusting uh, image. <laughs> Uh, wow, I think uh, a, I, I <laughs> think
1: quite uh, graphic. I think Gunnlog's response is uh, you're one to talk about old age
0: <laughs> oh my that's a pretty um, great one yeah no those two get pretty vicious with each other mm-hmm. um, that's okay that's a great one uh, I my first one is it's a bit more uh, epic a bit more long-ranging but uh, I think it's worth it uh, this is Thorin Black uh, winding down after the battle with Thorbjorn Stout. Right. And remember,
1: Uh, Thorin is the guy who was called
0: uh, uh, too peaceful, womanly, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. By his own mother, no less. Now, this is sort of an epic one, but it's funny to me mainly because of the deft hand of the saga writer in depicting a slow collapse into panic. Right. Uh, After Thorin Black's near-berserk rage, during which he kills Thorbjorn Stout, he returns home and begins a series of conversations in which he responds to questions about his actions with skaldic verses. Now, if you've read a few sagas, you'll know about the verses. Ostensibly, they're spoken off the cuff by individuals in the sagas, but they frequently show great complexity of style and careful construction. Uh, in some sagas, there are quite a few of them. In others, there are none at all. Uh, Hravengill's saga, for example, has none, which is why they didn't come up in our last episode. Thorin, by himself, produces 16 verses in the space of a few pages, and the cumulative effect Is of a man coming down off an adrenaline high To the cold fear of realizing what he's done His initial response to his mother's questions Are boasts He says uh, When she asks him what he's been up to In the court of weapons They called me a coward I defended my honor Fought Fed the eagles My sword bears witness Put to the war test But I don't care to boast Bloodshed's not my business Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, sort of This, you know, humble brag uh, that he manages to get through there. Not terribly Uh, humble, really. Well, right. But as people continue to question him, uh, he begins to tone down the sort of rhetoric of the noble warrior a bit. Uh, When his cousin Vermund uh, asks him uh, about the fight, Thorin says, Raging were the warriors, but we destroyed them. My sword flashed in the face of the shield-bearing foe. We laid about us, left them little choice. Yet... I favored friendship till they forced my hand.
1: <laughs> I, <was laughs> and I love that all these... Uh, the way that verse works in this saga is, is typically someone asks a question or makes a statement and then a character will almost spontaneously create these verses.
0: Right, exactly. And so as an example of that, uh, a few a few uh, minutes later, Vermin says, Did they find out for sure whether you're a man or a woman? <laughs> of course, him ha- uh, Thorin having been accused of womanliness. Uh, Thorin said... Accused of cowardice, cleared now my name Dead my adversary, struck down by my arms Snorri may whisper sweet words to his women I've run my eye over ravens as they ravaged the dead Now, (laughs) what I love about that one is that no one has mentioned Snorri yet Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly Thorin's mind is now sort of racing ahead He's just killed Snorri's brother-in-law And this is an insult that Snorri cannot allow to stand And so he's already sort of thinking ahead now, from that moment, from the moment when he sort of dares to mock Snorri in one of his verses, from this point on, he begins to panic. Right.
1: And uh, we know that this... in, in other sagas, when you make a verse about somebody, mm-hmm. it travels around. People remember them. And it uh, it usually comes back to bite you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Thorin knows this. While he and vermund are on their way to see Arnkel for advice, uh, he makes another verse merry the times our minds remember the days ere these hands dealt thorbjorn his death stroke i must run from the rage i have roused in the proud one i loathe the strife of the scarlet shield wall so now he's just sort of you know openly admitting that he's panicking right? right he's he's deathly afraid of what's going to happen as a result of his fight
1: no longer bragging about feeding the eagles and observing the ravens picking at corpses right
0: absolutely uh, so- and he fi- he fi- ends this whole section his last verse uh, is sort of a plaintive cry for help to Arnkell. They say we'll suffer setbacks in court. We must plead for support from powerful chieftains. But Arnkell will argue an eloquent case. He'll sway judge and jury. I have faith in justice. <laughs> <laughs> and so we see him in the space of a few pages go from this sort of you know nobly as he as he washes the blood from his blade, saying, "Well, I don't like to boast, but I did all right for myself." To hey um. Is there any chance I can get off? <laughs> uh, and, of course, he can't, and Arnkel has to arrange for him to leave the, uh, the country and the saga forever.
1: I-, I think another great verse should be a candidate, and this one comes from Bjorn, the Britovic champion, after mm. seeing his quote-unquote son, Kjartan, for the first time. Uh, he don't
0: think it's quote-unquote. I think it would be quote-unquote if it were Thorod's son. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's, it's Bjorn's Thorod's son. Quote unquote,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Bjorn, the bread of X- champion, has seen his son, and he says, The slim, well-bred woman who bears Thorod's weight sought me once sweetly oh. with her soft body. Brooding, <laughs> I yearned that her body might breed more boys like the brave lad born in my image.
0: Wow. It's That's a... Now, there's a classic example, right? That's the kind of verse that can get you in real trouble.
1: Real big trouble. The slim, well-bred woman who bears Thorod's weight. Mm -hmm. Not only is it disgusting, but it's humiliating for Thorod. Well, but I could
0: wish that she would bear more children like that one, i.e. mine.
1: Mine. (laughs) Well, I mean, his whole thing throughout the saga is how he wants to get with her all the time. He just can't stop himself until, until that scene where Snorri says, Why don't you just leave the district?
0: Right. Well, and, unless, you know, if if Thorod were a less ineffective man, a verse like that could really cause a kind of uh, a death feud.
1: Yeah. But again, it's uh, Bjorn the Bredevic champion, and it's going to be pretty hard to take the uh, right. the champion of the Varangian guard down.
0: Right. Uh, now, my my last nominee is uh, uh, a sort of a throw-off moment uh, late in the saga when the Thorbransons and the Thorlaxons are pursuing their fight with one another. Uh, and my nominee is a woman of the Thorbransons' house. Um, now, at this point in the saga, the Thorbrandsons sent an incompetent slave named Eil the Strong after the Thorlaxons and their friends uh, to attempt an assassination. But he was found out and killed after confessing everything. The Thorlaxons then travel to the Thorbrandsons to make a blood payment for Eil's death to forestall any court action being brought. On the advice of Snorri Gothi, the Thorbrandsons don't interfere with them. So the oldest Thorlaxon, Steinthor, nails the payment to their front door, and names witnesses to the fact that he's made this payment. Still, they don't react. But then the saga tells us, The door was open, and one of the women was standing there listening to the naming of witnesses. She went into the room. That Steinthor is a fine-looking warrior, she said. (laughs) When he paid compensation for the slave, he spoke really well. It's a great line, it's biting as hell, and it does the job. Uh all hell breaks loose. The Thor Branson snap, the resulting feud between the group leads to several deaths and mutilations. Uh it was probably inevitable that the two families would come to blows, mm-hmm. but that line is undoubtedly a match to the dynamite.
1: Absolutely. Um I'm gonna throw in one more before we make our decision. And this one comes when uh Kjartan takes his advice from Snorri to uh basically evict, use legal proceedings to get rid of the ghosts who are squatting in the uh in the houses of Fraud River. Um <laughs> I like it because of the dryness of the response. It seems so simple and and odd when it happens. It says, Next, Kjartan summons Thorir Woodleg, and Thor the Cat summons Thorod for trespassing on the home and robbing people of life and health. Um, All the dead ones are summoned in that way. The jury is appointed, testimony was taken, and the cases were summed up and referred for judgment. As sentence was being passed on Thorir Woodleg, he rose to his feet and said, I sat here as long as people would let me. And then he goes out through the door. <laughs> they do that again for the shepherd. They do it for Thorgrim, a witch mm-hmm. face. And the undead Thorgrim, a witch face, stands up and says, I stayed as long as you would let me. And she and two leaves. And everyone goes out the same way. It is. A, they all have
0: this sort of mopey last line before they shum- shamble off.
1: Yeah, it's such it's an anticlimactic <laughs> end to uh, the hauntings of Fraud River. I was just looking for a comfortable place to sit down.
0: But of course, in, in another sense, it's the perfect end to an Icelandic haunting. You're, you just sue the ghosts until they leave.
1: Yeah, or they're not really ghosts, they're really the Walking Dead, right? right, they're, right.
0: they're zombies Revenants, there. I think they call them. Yeah. Uh, uh, but okay, so now we have to find our, our winner. Uh, for me, it's a fairly clear cut case. Yeah. Um, I think the, the long, slow collapse of Thorin's <laughs> self respect uh, has to take it. It's just such a great character study. Uh, this man who his whole life has been accused of womanishness, uh, having a sort of grand moment of berserk fury, and then having to live with the consequences of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really love the raunchy grossness of Stroke the Old Hag Up the Belly that uh, we get from Katla. <laughs> For me, it's, it's – that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, it's such uh, – when you think of notable witticisms, it's mm. not quite as lengthy and epic as what you're talking about. It's it's really a notable witticism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so is so, your
0: argument that that one deserves to win on the basis of being a notable witticism?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I give you that, that Thorin uh, the episode is brilliant in terms of what happens over the course of a few pages. But when we're talking witticisms, we need something quick, something tight. And there's nothing better than, are you going to stroke the old hag up the belly?
0: At the risk of making our website slightly less PG, um, I'm going to have to agree. I'll go with it. <laughs> uh, we can. <laughs> You're so easily swayed. <laughs> well, I, I love uh, Thorin's sort of uh, uh, story, but it's true. It's it's less a witticism and more a kind of a clever character study.
1: Yes, absolutely. So that's a great one. Uh, let's move on to our next category. Excellent. Outlawry. Now's the time for outlawry. We are boom, going boom. to decide which of these characters is the worst and who must be banished from the island. Or, if their crimes aren't so bad, we'll give them a lesser
0: outlawry. Right. This um, is already becoming my favorite section, by the way.
1: It's a really fun one, and I think it's pretty obvious who the first candidate should be this time around. Is pretty bad Oh, I guy. don't think
0: it is, uh, because really? whoever you're picking, it's not who I'm starting with. I'm starting with Snorri the Goathe. <laughs> Wait, What? What are you talking about? Oh, absolutely. He's guilty of a large number of crimes. The fact that no one in the saga ever seems to notice doesn't mean that he's not guilty.
1: You are just being spiteful because you know how I feel about him. Hang
0: on, hang on. Allow me to make my case for the prosecution. Who is the killer of Vigfus? Uh, Snorri. Who arranges the killing of Arnkill? Snorri, but... Who makes multiple attempts to kill Bjorn, the Brethevik champion? Snorri, but there's reasons. Who gives advice that results in the killing of two berserks? That's Snorri. That's a good job. <laughs> now, he's sneaking around behind the scenes. He doesn't wield the sword himself, but he's very much at the center of many of the worst crimes in this saga.
1: You're just being ridiculous. You know that he kills Vigfus because Vigfus tried to kill him, correct? Fair. All right. Uh, he arranges the killing of Arnkel because Arnkel is a competitor. Not only that, Arnkel. <laughs> That's your defense? Uh, Arnkel also has. What has Arnkel done? <laughs> 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 I'm going to tell you Arnkel has also systematically over the period of many years cut the Thorbrants off from their uh Gothi, Snorri. Uh they need help because Arnkel is a crime. It's not a crime, but it is a it is an aggressive act and I see Snorri is also being shamed as Arnkel gets more and more property, his reputation is growing and growing and if you remember they have that feast in Snorri's house where his own men thing men are saying Arnkel might be the most powerful guy in the region. How is Snorri going to take that line down? Well,
0: which merely suggests that they might be right.
1: Well, Snorri fixes that, doesn't he? <laughs> Remember, we said in the introduction that there was only room for one leading man in the air district. True, but it could easily be Arnkel.
0: But it's not. Snorri wins, right? Okay, so your, your defense of Snorri is that he has the ability to get things done through violence while keeping his own hands clean and eliminates all of his competition by killing them through intermediaries.
1: Brilliantly so. And let me put it this way, John. <laughs> Isn't that the kind of man you'd want as a thing man?
0: No. <laughs> well, I hope that's true. You better stick to that claim. Well, now, now, wait a minute. I'm not saying that I don't acknowledge Snorri's effectiveness. Oh, now, well, you're I'm really waffling. saying you're waffling. that he's committed crimes to get to where he is. Not outlawry-worthy crimes. Well, maybe
1: outlawry-worthy crimes, but not the kind that we're going to... Uh, Outlaw him for? I don't think so. Let's <laughs> let's stop being silly, John. I know that you're just doing that to oh. make me to rile me up. So <laughs> we have real criminals to talk about here. Let's look at a more realistic candidate. Let's talk about Ausback.
0: He's known for his violent raids and his whale meat stealing Absolutely. ways. Um, uh, so let's see. He's yes, he's guilty of um, trespass. He's guilty of stealing someone else's driftage, the dead whale. Mm-hmm. Um, he commits assault. He. Terrorizes Alf the Short on more than one occasion. That's right. Uh, he murders Thor Goldhardison in his own bed or drags him out of his bed and then kills him. Mm-hmm. Um, commits arson uh, and eventually has to be hunted down. Oh, and ignores his sentence of outlawry. He's outlawed and refuses to leave.
1: He's pretty much as bad as it gets, right?
0: Well, I mean, in any other saga, yes. In, in, I think in most sagas, Aspak would be the clear winner. Yeah, but... He would. I don't know yes, if there's another else, character in, yeah. in the entirety of saga literature more worthy of Outlawry than Arnkell's father, the terrible Thorolf Twistfoot.
1: Yeah, he's really the worst character that we encounter in this saga. And it really starts from the very
0: beginning. As soon as we are, we're introduced to him, we learn about how bad he is. Absolutely. His introduction is essentially his challenging Olfar the Champion to a duel. Uh, now remember, this is an old man that he's picking on. Yeah, the name The like Champion... It. A young, strong man challenging a, a withered old man to a right. fight. Um, he then commits attempted arson uh, at the house of another man also named Ulfar. He has a real thing against people named Ulfar. Mm-hmm. He attempts to kill the second Ulfar. Uh, he double deals both Snorri and his own son. Uh, he attempts to get people riled up against his son. And then, of course, after he drops dead of apoplexy, because no one will help him I mean, anymore... he's a- he becomes the worst ghost anyone's ever seen. He's, he's actually more evil after he dies than before it.
1: Right. As if, as if his crimes while alive aren't bad enough. Once he becomes a, uh, a zombie, he's <laughs> ten times worse. Uh, and from from uh, getting birds to fall right. out of the sky to animals howling to death. Uh, on his grave to crushing shepherds and blackening their right. bodies. Right, and I mean,
0: even He's when terrible. they destroy his body after several attempts to bury it don't work, when they destroy his body, the ashes then corrupt a cow, leading to the creation oh, nice of, of the bull it. calf, which you you uh, named Thorolf Twist Twistcow, And then that cow <laughs> kills another man <laughs> before finally sinking into a bog. I mean... Honestly, is there a worse man in all of Icelandic literature than Thorolf Twistfoot?
1: I can't think of one. Um, I don't know how we would be responsible Gothar if we let this yep. guy get away. I think we
0: could drag this out, but I don't think there's any point. Thorolf Twistfoot,
1: outlawed. Yeah, and now I just hope he doesn't come back in his zombie form and uh, <laughs> right. destroy if us. If there
0: is no next episode of this, of this podcast, you'll know what happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> Big, Big Man. man. Now it's time. Each of us will have the opportunity to choose a Thingman, a supporter who will have our back in future things, uh, and will be part of the stable of supporters of Thingman that we're slowly building up over the course of the sagas. Now, last time uh, Andy picked first after winning a coin toss, and so this time I get the opportunity to pick first. Yeah,
1: and if I had known that Air Biggest Saga was going to be our second saga, I would have deferred that first. Uh Coin toss And let you choose Froffenkel Well there you go I'm a little worried About what's going to Happen <laughs> here But your attitude well, Towards okay. the Suggests to me That I might be safe But I can't really Trust you
0: Let me lay this out For you The way I see it okay. um, The two of us Each have to pick One man And there are Three men worth Picking okay. um, There's obviously uh, Arnkel Thorolfson. Remarked by everyone as being the greatest man of his age yeah. uh, Routinely described as being a, a good man A reliable yeah. man A handsome man Which, you know, let's not underestimate yeah. the power Of having a good looking guy on your team uh, Every team needs a face man Yeah, uh, and I, I, would, I,
1: I would argue that there's probably few better characters You could choose for your thing men than
0: Arnkel Well, I feel confident that you would argue that Because you'd very much like me to go in that direction that's, uh, no,
1: no, I don't. I don't really care. But I hang on, there's also
0: there's also Bjorn the Brethvick champion, another handsome guy, another handsome guy, another guy I'd like to point out who gets the better of Snorri. Uh, first of all, by fathering an illegitimate child with Snorri's sister, mm-hmm. and then by uh, tricking Snorri and outplaying him when Snorri tries to kill him. Yeah, and let's uh, not
1: forget all his connections on uh, on the continent. He travels very widely after he leaves right? Iceland. And makes some major uh, alliances and is a real hero in the truest sense of the word.
0: And, of course, uh, manages to, after leaving permanently and going to what most people agree is the new world, mm-hmm. manages to establish himself there as a kind of chieftain. Yeah, he's pretty uh, remarkable. Gets a position of honor uh, even among this people who otherwise are very hostile to outsiders. Right. Uh, it's a pretty well, good are, pedigree.
1: Those are two excellent choices, John. I think you, you
0: have your hands full. I do, I do. Especially since there's a third choice. Uh, Snorri the Gothi. Oh, uh, him? Nah. No, well, no, no. I don't take back anything I've said about him. Sneaky, underhanded, duplicitous. Uh, Always with a purpose. But, absolutely. He's an effective man. He's a, a man who gets things done. He is, in the end, the last man standing. When Arnkel and Bjorn, one cold in his grave, one off in the new world. And there's Snorri. Still in control of Snaffle's Ness Right
1: But I mean after all that you've said about him I, You really have convinced me that Snorri is uh, Really a kind of shameful individual
0: um, Fair enough uh, Not so really allow me to redeem him By oh. saying that I'm going to choose him As my thing man <laughs>
1: no, no you don't do that
0: <laughs> uh, Tempting as Arnkel and Bjorn are Snorri Gothi oh. is Snorri Gothi I can't I'm, I'm is... not going to turn my back on him but it's nice to know he's got my back If I'm ever foolish enough to turn it on him
1: What a betrayal This is, You you are the Snorrigothie Because you played the long game here Moi. Setting up your distaste for him The whole while you were
0: planning to take him Well I knew you were waiting for me To pitch you a curveball on this one That's exactly when you throw the heater I swung and missed <laughs> oh, It's
1: Such a tragic decision you just made there
0: So now <laughs> Tragic only for you uh, I now, uh, now it's that I've pulled bad. the rug out from under you, get your feet and decide.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, the other two choices are Arnkel. Oh man, <laughs> I never. Arnkel, really,
0: come on! I
1: never really wanted him. Uh, mm-hmm. Bjorn the Bredevik champion is a fascinating individual, and as far as getting someone on your side that can. Um, can win a duel, win mm-hmm. battles, support you in the physical way. He's he's excellent. Arnkel is a great one for supporting you in legal cases. So mm-hmm. if I, I need someone to argue uh, for me, he's a great choice. He, in fact, beats Snorri at every turn.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
1: there's also Kjartan. Maybe I should consider Kjartan. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Jonsson. I didn't even think about
1: him. Uh, he's a pretty cool guy. He defeats uh, the seal, which mm-hmm. is so important. <laughs> uh, he also outlaws the, uh, the ghost. So he mm-hmm. kind of takes charge... He represents uh, uh, himself very, very well in the sagas.
0: Well, and in terms of bloodlines, I mean, he is obviously the son of Bjorn the Brethevik champion. Right. um, But he's also the nephew of Snorri Gothi. That's a pretty good bloodline right there.
1: It is. I'm tempted to take him because of that, but at the same time, he just isn't that big a character in the saga. Mm-hmm. I, I like the name. Uh, you know, when I, when I look at my... When we're all done with this podcast and we look at our list of thingmen, mm-hmm. I want to look at names that... Uh, and I want people to look at my list and say, I know that guy. Right. He's a winner. Right. You know? And <laughs> Kjartan doesn't have that cachet. Like Snorri Gothi, for example. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like Snorri Gothi. So I guess with that reasoning, uh, I'm going to choose someone who is a noteworthy character... He's got the name recognition. In fact, he's recognized by all men in pagan times, according to the saga author, as the most gifted. He's better than Snorri Gothi, in fact. Yes, yes, that's (laughs) what I'll tell myself. He's better than Snorri Gothi. As the saga author describes him, he was remarkably shrewd in judgment. Mm. Do you know who this is, John? He's Uh good-tempered, unlike uh, Snorri. He's kind-hearted, unlike Snorri. He's brave I don't think it actually says unlike Snorri in the saga Uh, He's kind-hearted brave honest and moderate He comes out on top in every lawsuit no matter whom he had to deal with which explains (laughs) why people like Snorri The despicable Gothi were so envious of him. (laughs) How quickly you turn now that Snorri is not on your side. Look, if I'm going to be Arnkell's Gothi, I've got to support him to the best of my ability. There you go. It's part of my duty. So Arnkell it is, huh? Arnkell it is. You stole Snorri from me. Uh, I don't think we're (laughs) friends any longer. (laughs) This podcast will probably end. It won't be Thorof's rage that ends this thing. (laughs) It will be your betrayal.
0: But of course... Now that we're not friends anymore, I'm going to need Snorri to help me out when you bring a suit against me. <laughs> That's true. You just
1: meet him behind the shed and formulate a plan. That's right. <laughs> but I've got Arnkel to help me uh, outwit you. So as long as we stay in the in the the legal realm, I'll, I'll be okay. I've got Hrofenkel and Arnkel, uh, two kettles to help me uh, defeat you. Watch your back. Yeah, you've only got one good thing, men, so far. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, shift on over to our ratings and see what we actually thought of this saga. All right. Final Final rating. All right. So we need to start by quickly reminding you of Theodore M. Anderson's very uh, pointed opinion about this Ah, saga. If you remember, it's quite a doozy. Here's what he says. Erbega saga is a somewhat faceless story. The protagonist does not hold the narrative together or guide the action. He merely reacts to events. See, I have a man of action. I just want to point out, I have a man of action, Arnkel. He gets things done. Oh, dear. Um, (laughs)
0: I've broken you, haven't I? (laughs)
1: I'm I'm crying inside. Um, All right. There are none of the vivid scenes that occur in many of the sagas. There's no sharp dialogue, no melancholy exchanges, no really sustained narrative. There are no dramatic moments with which to organize the action and commit it to memory. The story is not incisively articulated, and as a result, the narrative does not flow easily and is less compelling to read than almost any other saga that's pretty damning stuff yeah it is but now it's our turn right and since I'm going first I'm going to take the opportunity to respond to Anderson's critique here and I'm going to say that I wholeheartedly disagree with him I mean this is one of my favorite saga for a number of reasons not least of which is the enigmatic Snorri the Gothi I find him to be a fascinating character Hmm. Um, it's a shame that I lost him but he's still there in the saga for me to enjoy (laughs) And he'll be in a number of other sagas as well. We'll be seeing him over and over again. Exactly. But I find that Anderson's critique where he says that it's one of the least compelling sagas in all of saga literature, it it can't be further from the truth. I mean, it's a very compelling saga. It's got a lot of really interesting scenes that are memorable. It's got political intrigue. Mm -hmm. It's got dynamic leading men like Snorri and Arnkel, who I think the saga author writes so thoughtfully – with all these complexities of character and personality that really makes them feel genuine, you don't see that as often in other sagas. Mm-hmm. Another thing is the realism of their characters. Most of the times we get these hyperbolic um, kind of romance characters right. or these really awesome warrior characters who are not that believable because they're so one-dimensional. Snorri's is not that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's an interesting saga age narrative that also offers poignant commentary on life in the 13th century. I believe that Snorri represents an argument for the rise of the storgothi. I'm not going to go much further with that, but I'll, I'll just say there's a poignant commentary on life in the 13th century in this saga. Um, there's a lot more than just a, a straight uh, plot-driven narrative. There's action plenty, There's duels, skirmishes, and major battles. There's romance. There's wife-stealing. There's jealous witches. There's ghosts, walking dead, spectral seals who like to play whack a uh, hand-skinning... <laughs> oxtails. Oh, and they throw in a trip to the New World at the end just to cover all of the bases. John, what does this saga lack? Right. For me, it's about as good as it gets. And when I sat down to start reading the saga again and we said we we're going to do this episode, I was pretty certain that I was going to give it a 10. So, what am I really giving it? Well, upon further reflection, I kind of agree with part of Anderson's <laughs> critique. <laughs> after all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after all that, I, I, there's something to Anderson's point. Uh, Mm. I'm disagreeing with the notion that it's not compelling and that it's not well-written. At the same time, I'm giving it a 9 because it lacks a fluid cohesion, which is to say its episodic nature hurts it a little bit. Each of the episodes is absolutely brilliant, and they do flow together. I understand how this saga works. I understand how these episodes build upon each other and how they interact. I just can't justify a 10. Plus, I need more Snorri. It's really (laughs) – it's his saga – He just does too much lurking in the background Mm -hmm. uh, behind the shed giving advice until the very end when he kind of emerges as the fully realized chieftain of the whole territory. Mm -hmm. So more Snorri would equal a 10 regardless of the episodic nature. As it is, I've got to give it a 9.
0: All right, a 9. Now for me, the further I dig into the saga, uh, the more I find a like. Not to disrespect Anderson in any way, but while I agree that there's uh, a certain lack of overall narrative cohesion to the saga. As we were preparing the saga for this episode, I found myself more and more fascinated by the complexities of its design, the way that it all kind of fits together, bits and pieces here and there, sort of influencing other parts of the saga. It's a mess, but it's a brilliant mess. Yes, it is. We get a three-way feud. We get the ghostly doings that you love so much, some really great battles, a fight over an offshore outhouse, Thorim Black's meltdown over his one act of Berserk Fury, and I think really does sort of almost stand alone as a character study. I may not be a huge fan of Snorri, but I'm a fan of the saga that grows up around him. And I think he does anchor it in a way. You say he's in the background all the time, but of course he is in the background all the time. Right? He's sort of always there. He's sort of woven through the entire story. But Can I just say, how dare you
1: <laughs> say I'm not a big fan of Snorri, but... And choose him as your thing man? Well, I
0: can not shameful, and I hope he
1: I hope he heard you, Look, and he's it's, plotting. You
0: know, it's the old, it's the old American thing. Uh, which presidential candidate would you rather have a beer with? Uh, <laughs> I've never bought into that. I feel like I don't need to be able to buddy around with this guy. I need him to do his job effectively. I wouldn't well, want Snorri in my house. I wouldn't want him drinking my beer, and I wouldn't want to lend him my horse. But... When it comes to getting things done, um, Snorri's the guy. Well, I'll just remind you as you you come to your conclusion that Snorri uh, doesn't like
1: competitors. And he doesn't like to be number two. So (laughs) good luck.
0: I know. I'm going to have to keep an eye on him. Yes, you Uh, will. But I'm not judging Snorri here. I'm judging Saga. And um, I thought I was going to come in... Much lower, but I have to say I'm going to give it a nine as well. Wow! What were you originally thinking it was going to be? I was I thinking ten. maybe I, when I, you know, was sort of preparing it, I was thinking around a seven or so. You know, sort of okay. thinking about it as I've prepped it for teaching in the past, and you know, really having to dig into it and thinking about how all the different pieces fit together. Maybe you have to. This is a saga you have to spend time with. It you is. Know, it's not Although a... that
1: said, I think it's it's more accessible than it's given credit for. Mm-hmm. When I've taught this saga, the students love it. Mm-hmm. They don't get too bothered by the episodic nature because, as I said, each of those episodes is so well done, mm-hmm. and the characters and the action is so memorable, um, and oftentimes quite funny, mm-hmm. and it, it always goes over well. So I don't know how it could be less than a uh, less than a nine, really. So the question is going
0: to be: since we both say this is a nine, is there a ten out there? We're now sort That's of a great in the question. hunt. To find the ten.
1: Yes. Um, hopefully, we'll find it. Hopefully, you'll hang out with us long enough to uh, locate that ten. And we're curious what you uh, think we should do. So check us out on Facebook and offer us a like or two as we try to get those up. We're on Facebook at Saga Thing Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Saga Thing Pod. And you can always get our episodes and keep up with who we've outlawed and who we've taken on as Thingmen at our website, uh, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, next time. We are going to be taking on Eric the Red Saga. I guess a trip to the new world. Pretty exciting stuff and more hauntings. So until we see you with Eric the Red, I'll say goodbye for now. Bye, guys.
0: Hola, los amigos. Bienvenido a Sagatín ¿Dónde está el biblioteca? En la Sagatín